It's lovely to be here this morning. Dean and Gina, I've, I've known them for a while now. When I moved to Palmerston North in uh, 2013 or 2014 is when I first met them. And um, you've got to watch out for these two. You've, you've known that for a while, haven't you? They love in a very practical manner. And that's how they get you. That's how they attract you. And once they get you, they'll ask you to do things because they see potential in you. And you know they're right. <laughs> um, but it's great. I mean, um, when, they, when they moved away from Palmy, we, we were quite sad, actually. We, we, I, I think I, I cried quite a bit um, the day that we were praying them out of church and blessing them. We were blessing them, but I was crying. Um, but I know that this is where God has called them to be. And um, I know that the Lord has anointed them for this time, for this place, for you people, because he loves you. And, um, and I know that you are blessed through their leadership. So it's, a great, it's great to be here. I'm very, very excited. I'm no longer sad that they've moved. I'm, I'm very happy. <laughs> but, but I do think you should, um, when they tap you on the shoulder and um, say, oh, I think you should do this, or I think you should join a life group, or I think you should lead a life group, um, pay attention. Because they know what they're talking about. Hey. <laughs> anyway, so it's great to be here. Um, but uh, yes, I am. I'm a GP. Um, I work in Palmerston North, and my husband is a vet. Um, I moved to New Zealand in 2012, and we discovered just the other day that um, we moved to New Zealand exactly a day apart, four years, in four years apart. And um, we met in 2016. Uh, we met in December 2016, and then started hanging out <laughs> around March, March or so 2017, and then we got married in June um, 2018, which I remember, the, our first anniversary I kind of forgot, which is usually what men do. So I'm just taking one to break stereotypes. So <laughs> I didn't forget on the day, I just forgot leading up to it when there was something announced to be on that day. I thought, oh, that day, that I have to be there, but that day sounds familiar. <laughs> something happened that day. But Now, um, I, I married a, a person really into DIY. And um, the thing about DIY is some things, could you start the first slide, please? Um, things don't go according to plan when you go with DIY stuff, most of the time. Um, and that's why it's do-it-yourself. If you hire a professional, it usually gets done in a really good way. So, um, <laughs> usually. <laughs> um, but my husband really, he, he's really into DIY. He likes doing stuff himself. And I think Dean's quite a bit like that, eh? It's, yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of men nodding. Yeah, Bunnings is our favorite place. Um, Jebin was so upset that Bunnings was not classified as, as essential during lockdown. And as soon as we got to level two, I've got a picture of him. With his, he was in his happy place. He's got a trolley full of stuff. Just big, big smile. So, so we... Um, uh, Dean actually helped me when I was buying my first house. Again, like I said, very practical love. Um, he went with me. I was so, so nervous about making an offer, putting a contract and signing all of that. And he went with me just to, so that my knees would stop shaking. Um, but anyways, I bought the house, um, beautiful, beautiful house, but terrible drainage in the backyard. 
and I couldn't walk in the backyard. It was squelching and really clay soil. So Jebin said, we should, we should fix the drainage. We should, we should get someone to fix it. And we, we, so, no, no, he didn't say we should get someone to fix it. He said, we should fix the drainage. I said, yes, let's get someone in to fix it. <laughs> and he said, no, I think we can do it ourselves. And so this was our first year of marriage. And um, in October, he said, oh, we'll start. We got advice from a few friends. We figured out what we have to do. And um, one of our friends lent us a digger. And so we started digging trenches in the backyard to put, put pipes in. And um, he said, we started, I think, mid-October, and he said, I'll be done way before Christmas. We'll have a beautiful garden before Christmas. All of you are annoyed. You're like, oh, very optimistic. Um, can we see the next picture, please? So, so the top one is him enjoying the digger. He had so much fun digging up our backyard. It looked like a war zone. So right up there, we've got pulling off the yucca trees, digging up big, big trenches. And then we had to take, like, get rid of all the, the trees. So we had friends bringing up their trailers, loading up these yucca trees. And I thought, oh, great, we've dug the trenches. Now we just have to fill the pea metal. Put the... So, so Jebin didn't tell me all of the steps involved in this process. He said, we just have to dig trenches, put pipes in, and we're sorted. So, um, <coughs> but I didn't realize... After we dug the trenches, and Palmy doesn't have the best weather, we, it rains all the time, and so it rained one weekend, and we couldn't do anything. The trenches filled up with water. So then we had water-filled trenches logging our backyard. We were a, we were a breeding zone for mosquitoes. <laughs> People were coming to visit us, and they were saying, are you, are you planting rice? <laughs> are you <laughs> what are you doing over here? Um, so then we had to buy a pump to pump out all the water, and it, only, it stopped at a certain level, so we then had to wait for that little water to dry. And then we had to order the pea metal. By this time, it was Christmas already. And um, we didn't order the pea metal in time, so we had to not do anything over the Christmas holidays because everyone was closed. And then we got this huge mountain of pea metal in our front yard, so not only the back was absolutely ugly, the front was now ugly as well. Then we had a working bee, and we got friends come over, and with wheelbarrows, taking the pea metal and filling up the trenches. I think the next picture might show a bit of that. So filled up the trenches in the first one, put the, the pipes in. Then we had to get more soil to kind of, in the bottom left picture, left picture, yes. So there was soil put in, and then we put the landscaping part. So this was the fun part for me. I was putting the, the decorations and decorating the, the, the garden beds to have like bricks and stuff. We finally sowed our lawn seed in April, so we've gone past Christmas. Um, in April the next year, we sowed our lawn seed, and you can see the fuzz on the top. Um, and then that's, again, patchy changes in, the, in a few more months. So around May, June, we started having a bit of patchy grass. It looked like a bald, like someone had accidentally, accidentally shaved someone's head using a buzzer. And it was only in the next picture, around September, October, that now we've got a beautiful lawn. We planted our trees. We've got some nice veggies. The dogs love it. Uh, they're, they're hidden in the top photo, but they're there. So the point is, <laughs> things didn't go according to plan. And often they don't. Um, stuff, there's delay. There was the unexpected, the pipes filling with water. Um, there was disappointment. I, I was really upset that we, 
We couldn't have people come over because it looked horrible. We had dust. Our windows were just covered with dust because there was so much dust flying outside. And it was, it was just horrible. And I would come home in the evenings and I'd be like, oh, why? What, what did we do? Why is... It was just di disappointment. There was discouragement. We had random neighbors coming up to us saying, what are you doing? Are you guys crazy? Who told you to do this? They lied to you. <laughs> that you shouldn't be doing this. This is, this is horrible. You've destroyed your house. And, and so there was discouragement. Um, and, you know, there was so much time. We took so long to get where we are. But now we've got fruit. We, we actually got our first plums off our tree. We had eight plums. <laughs> Two of them got eaten by the birds, but we had plums, and they were so tasty. <laughs> but the thing is, when things don't go according to plan, we lose faith sometimes. We think, oh, I can't see what's happening. I'm lost. Um, we lose faith. It feels like stuff's not moving on, and we're stuck. And I couldn't see the end. I couldn't see, the, I couldn't see this picture that you're seeing now. I couldn't see that at that point. And so we lose faith. Um, can we just get the next slide, please? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is described as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I was not sure that we were going to have a lawn in the end of this. I was not sure that we would have good drainage. I was not, I couldn't see the end. And often when we're praying for things and we're looking forward to something, we can go through times when we can't see the end. And so forget how do we be sure of what we're hoped for and certain of what we can't see, because it looks, we're looking into the future and all we see is darkness. And sometimes you might feel like it's bleak. It's not gonna change. I've been going through this for so long. Why is it gonna be different? When things don't happen our way, when things don't go according to plan, we lose our faith. Now, it's, it's, faith is being sure of what we hope for. We all hope for things, don't we? It's being certain of what we do not see. But we still lose faith. And I was thinking about it. Is faith a constant or does it go up and down? What do you think? Is faith a straight line where... Once you get faith, you're, you've got this constant faith. No, everyone's nodding their heads. Any of us who've lived even a little life, we know it's not constant. We go up and down, up and down. Hebrews um, 11, chapter 1 is a great chapter. If you read, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, called the chapter of faith. If you read about it, there's, um, it talks about all the heroes of faith, and it talks about Abraham and Sarah in particular. And it talks about their journey of faith. And, and Abraham, Abraham is called the father of faith. So it's like the greatest faith. Can we bring up the next slide, please? But if you look at his faith, <coughs> it was up and down. He got scared that he, would, um, that he would be killed by the king. And that's why he lied about who his wife was. He said, it was my, this is my sister. Um, he even though the Lord promised him that he would have a son and he would bless him with his own son with Sarah. He waited for so long, he, got, he wasn't sure it was going to happen. His faith faltered. And so he, he end up, ended up having Ishmael with Hagar. And so his faith did that up and down trajectory. Up and down, up and down, faith falters. And I think it's encouraging for us today to know that faith can falter, but faith can grow. 
And so if you look at the graph of where it's going, it's not constant, it's not steady. It's up and down, but the path it's taking is always upwards. Amy Carmichael was a great, I don't know if you know of her, she was a missionary to India. She was, I think, Irish or Scottish, one of them. She had, um, she, she was fair-skinned, essentially, a, a European, and then she went to India in her 20s and then ended up never returning back. She, she ran an uh, orphanage over there. And the last 20 years of her life, she was actually bedridden due to an illness. And she, would, she wrote so many books. So if you have the chance to read about her, read her biography, her quotes, she's amazing. Just a great testimony of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. But she said something. She said, let me die climbing. And I've always, I, I wrote that down in my Bible, and I've loved it. Let me die climbing. Let me always be on an upward trajectory. Let me always keep going up. I don't want to be stuck in one place. I don't want to be constant. I want to go up. And now going up involves ups and downs but as long as it keeps going up. It's interesting in Matthew 17, 20. Can we bring up the next? It talks about if you have faith that is living like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it will move. And so faith is compared here to a seed. Um, I, I looked this up because usually the translations I've heard is if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you can ask this to move and it will move. And so I thought, oh, all you need is a little faith. You need a small faith. But, and I was supposed to bring a mustard seed in to show you today, but I forgot because it's so tiny. <laughs> but there's a picture of it next, on the next slide. Um, that's how tiny a mustard seed is. They're tiny. So why did God compare faith to a seed? Do you think he's talking about it being small and tiny, all you need is a little faith? Or does it talk about a seed of faith? Now a seed, what happens to a seed when you plant it? Well, what happens to a seed if you plant it and you're a gardener? And you're not like Dean and I, who kill plants. <laughs> when you plant a seed, it grows. It, it gets buried under the earth, but then it grows. And a mustard plant, especially the ones in the... Middle East, so when in Bible times, is can we get the next picture? That's how tall it gets. It's around nine to ten feet tall. That tiny, tiny seed grows to that height. And that's the thing about faith. It's not about having a little faith, it's not about having small faith or tiny faith, it's about having living faith. Living faith that grows, living faith that has an upward trajectory and a seed becomes a tree like that. And that's the thing that the Lord's calling us to have. He's calling us to have living faith. Faith like a mustard seed. So, um, interesting, I, so, so started reading about seeds. I, I did this in school. I mean, all of us, when we were in school, we, we learned about planting seeds and you see the, the beans sprout and things like that. But I read about it. I, I didn't do a lot of research. It was all on Wikipedia. And the Britannica Encyclopedia. So there was some, some um, credible information there. But if we can get the next picture up. <coughs> um, it talks about germination. Germination is the process. This is just off Wikipedia, and I'll read it so I don't make a mistake. Germination is the process of reactivation of metabolic machinery of the seed, resulting in the emergence of radical and plumule. That sounds very, very complex, very botany-like. But it's basically the process of reactivation 
of what is dormant in the seed. In that tiny, tiny seed is trapped the potential for a big tree. Everything to become that big tree is trapped in this tiny, tiny seed. And germination is the process when that is reactivated and it starts to grow. The potential is starting to come out. It's all there. Everything it needs to become a tree is in that seed. And then it starts to grow. Interestingly, and many of you might know this already, but just in case you're like me and needed to research it, um, seeds have got a seed coat. And unless the seed coat is damaged or broken, the process of reactivation doesn't start. So the seed coat, so if you see in the, the coat of the seed is broken, and that's when the root starts to grow, because it's activated its metabolism. For the seed coat to break, some seeds require a certain period of time. And so even when we've been planting vegetables and things like that, you'll see it'll say, the seed will sprout in three weeks. Some of them can take four weeks, some two weeks, some within a few days. Bean sprouts, they, they come up within a few days. So time is variable. You don't know how much time it will take for the seed coat to break and for the, the germination, the, the reactivation to start, the potential to start up. Um, they, they need water. <coughs> they need time. They need sunlight. They need soil rich in nutrients. And interestingly, Jebin was saying this um, as we were putting up the slides yesterday. He was saying, the, the root starts to grow, but it's only a few steps later that we see the shoot on the top starting to come up. So you might be looking at your seed saying, I can see nothing. And I've done that. I've, we've planted seeds, and I'm like, it's still not there. What, what, what's happening? And there's the temptation to dig it up. We're like, oh, yes, it has a root. Put it back in. But <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but the point is, when we can't see stuff happening, stuff is actually happening. The root is growing even when we don't see things happening. So again, a seed has to germinate. So the seed coat has to be broken, the root has to go down, and then you start seeing the leaves come up on the top, and eventually fruit, and eventually a 10-foot tall plant from a tiny, tiny seed. And that's what God compares our faith to. Isn't that amazing? He says, your faith can falter, it can go up and down, up and down, but it keeps growing. And that's what he wants our faith to be like. So when things don't happen <laughs> according to our plan, God's saying, build your faith. Grow your faith. Let it grow. Now, the good thing about this is growth doesn't come by you saying, oh, grow. That's not how it comes. It comes naturally. It doesn't come by you saying, oh, I'm going to push all my energy. And it, you, have you ever seen a tree go, oh, and then boop, the fruit comes out? <laughs> it doesn't do that. <laughs> um, growth comes from the Lord. But we have all the right places, right things in place to grow. So let's look at a few people in the Bible um, who, who grew their faith when things were not going according to their plan. So we'll look at the first one. Um, and this is in cha Mark chapter 9. It's also in Matthew 7 and Luke 9. But it's talking about a father who takes um, his son who's sick. He takes them to the disciples for them to pray for him so that he'll be healed. And it doesn't work. Now, we can bring up the scripture if you want to read it while we're talking about it. But um, in Ma Mark 9, it talks about this gentleman going to Jesus. And he says that he struggled with this child, struggled with illness or this so actually it says this man took his son to Jesus. We, 
I would assume this is an adult son at this stage. I'm not absolutely sure. But he says, how long has he been this way? And it says, since he was a child. I can't imagine the pain that father would have gone through to have a child who was unwell since he was young. In Luke, it talks about this, this, this son being this man's only child. I can't, again, I just can't imagine the pain that this man went through. And he must have gone to people, he must have gone to doctors, he must have gone to people to pray for his son, to so many different places. And it talks about how the, the spirit that had inflicted this son intended to harm him and destroy him. Now that's hard enough if we're going through it. But if we have to see our children go through it, that's, that's not nice. It's a horrible sense to have your child, your son, your daughter, go through a hardship this severe, this persistent, this prolonged. And I can't imagine the disappointment this father must have felt. Every time he thinks, oh, there's somebody coming, we can go and get prayed, and maybe the, child, the son will be healed, and then disappointment. He finally, and, and then he says, okay, let's go to the newest doctor in town, and disappointment. And each time he sees his son being attacked and inflicted, and he knows maybe this is going to be his last day. And there were so many attacks on this man's ability to believe in the goodness of God. <clears throat> and then he finally goes to the disciples and he says, can you pray for my son that he be healed? And it doesn't work then either. And sometimes we've gone to the Lord with a prayer, with something we're hoping for, something we're believing for, and each time we go, it doesn't work. We go forward, nothing happens. We try again, it doesn't happen. And we can, get, we can just get so beaten down and broken down by our disappointment. And so when, in verse um, 22, it says, if you can, this man is talking to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. You can just hear the desperation in his cry when he's crying to Jesus. He's just, take pity on us, help us. And Jesus says, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. And it's, it's a bit like this man says, well, I have been believing. Why else would I keep coming and trying? And I love, I, I honestly think God is so gracious and good to us that he's put this scripture in the Bible. So if we go to the next, um, next slide, I think it's in the Amplified, um, in verse 24. Yeah. As soon as Jesus says, um, anything is possible for one who believes, the father cries out immediately, with a desperate, piercing cry. I mean, just those words show how desperate this man was, how, how broken he was. And he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The shorter version is, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that is our encouragement, that in our lives, belief and unbelief can coexist. And that's the truth. And Jesus sees that. He recognizes, God recognizes that you can be believing for something, but you can also be doubting it. <laughs> and that's the truth. When we've had so many hard things happen, um, we can believe but also have unbelief. But what this father did is he took that unbelief to Jesus. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And that's how our faith grows. Every time we face a disappointment, if we can go back to the Lord and say, I believe, but right now I don't believe. 
or this part of me believes, but this doesn't. And Jesus says, I know. I've seen this before. Been there, done that. <laughs> um, and you can say, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And that's one way our faith goes upwards. Let's look at another example. Hannah. Hannah took her grief to the Lord. Just as that gentleman took his unbelief to the Lord, Hannah took her grief to the Lord. Now, <clears throat> I didn't realize how much Hannah's story means, but 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 to 20, again, if, if you want to read it, we'll just keep it up there, but um, it talks about Hannah being um, the wife of, of a man called El Elkanah. And how um, he loved her very much, but she didn't have children. And she was provoked regularly by the other wife that this gentleman had, who had children. Now the problem, most of us know some certain biology. When you don't have children, it's a monthly, pretty much, reminder that you don't have kids. It's not fun. <laughs> it's a consistent disappointment of what you're missing out on. Um, it's a consistent, in-your-face provoking. And this lady saying, you don't have something. I'm blessed and you're not. Um, so it was, it was regular and it was a prolonged duration. It had, it had been going on for so long. And she was grieving. She was, she was sad. There was deep, deep anguish. And that can happen to us on our faith journeys. We can be praying for something. We can be hoping for something. We can be looking forward for something. And, and there's this constant reminder that we don't have it. We don't have it yet, and we can grieve. And it says that she grieved so much that she went into the presence of the Lord to the temple, and she was crying and praying in deep anguish, and she couldn't even speak. The words weren't coming out because it was so, there was such bitter grief. And, and the priest, the person, she was misunderstood because he said, are you drunk? Is that why you're standing around her here? So not only was she grieving, she was also misunderstood, just like to add things to what this poor woman is going through. And then, but then in verse 18, uh, verse 17, Eli the priest says, go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. I found this very interesting because in verse 18 it says, this is this lady who was in such bitter anguish and grief that she couldn't even use her words anymore. And it says, then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get how, just like that, her countenance changed. And I think the truth is that in the presence of the Lord, when we take our grief, when we take our anguish, and our, we take our bitterness and our just deep, deep sense of loss to the Lord, our countenance can change. We can suddenly say, I can look to the future, and I can look with joy, with anticipation. My face is no longer downcast. And that's what the Lord wants us for our lives today. He wants us to take our grief to Him, and so that our countenance, our expectations can change. And it talks about that later, that the Lord remembered her. Now, this bothers me. <laughs> what does that mean? Does it mean the Lord forgot her? It's like, hello, I'm still here. I'm still wanting a child. Have you forgotten? But the, the verb there is remembered. Um, in the Hebrew, apparently, it's a word um, called zakar. 
And zakar means to remember, I'll read it out. It means to remember, but to re bring someone to mind and then act upon that person's behalf. It's not just bringing to mind. I do not think God ever takes us off his mind. Psalm 139 says that if you count the number of thoughts that he has about each of us individually, they will outnumber the grains of sand. I've not tried counting the grains of sand. I think even a mustard seed, counting mustard seeds would be a big task. That's how many thoughts he has concerning us. God does not forget us. Isaiah 49.15 says, A mother might forget her child, which doesn't happen. <laughs> but God won't forget us. God didn't forget Hannah. The verb here said that even though he always remembered, he always had her on his mind, it was the right time to act on her behalf. So be encouraged today that you might be waiting for a long time for something, but the Lord remembers. If you go to the Lord, go into his presence, and you change that grief to, to hope, the Lord remembers, the Lord will act on your behalf. Another example of someone. So this is Luke 22, um, 31 to 34, and John 21. Peter took his failure to God. I like Peter. I really like Peter in the Bible because Peter talked a lot. So for those of us who talk a lot, because if you talk a lot, you usually end up saying something stupid. So for those of us who talk a lot, Peter is a sense of encouragement. Because if, if God, God liked Peter, he likes us, okay? Um, but Peter, um, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me. And he says, no, why would I deny you? I'm going to live for you, I'm going to, and you know, he's, he's got these great purposes and plans for what he is going to accomplish for the Lord. He loves the Lord so much. And we're like that at times. We say, no, Lord, I love you. I am going to do this. You've called me to this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But Peter failed. Peter did deny the Lord. And sometimes we can as well. It might be in a small way or in a big way, but we can deny him. Even, even with our best intentions, we can make mistakes, we can fail, we can deny him. My encouragement here is that in verse 34, sorry, verse um, 32 in Luke, Jesus is saying to Peter, I have prayed for you. Jesus praying for us. That itself is like, whew, can relax a lot more. He's got our back. He says, Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Not that you may not fail. Honestly, if, if, if this was me, if I was trying to be efficient, I would say, I pray that you don't fail. Don't fail. Nobody fail. We'll all keep moving forward. It will just be so much simpler. But that's not what causes growth. He says, I pray that your faith will not fail. That even though you've denied me, you've fallen, you've failed in what you thought was your calling in moving forward, you've failed in what I called you to do, you've failed in your love for me, essentially, I pray that your faith will not fail. That your faith in my love, your faith in my forgiveness, your faith in my ability to, to bring beauty out of ashes, that your faith will not fail. And in John 21, Peter has given up. Peter says, no, nah, I'm not going to be a disciple anymore. I'm not going to work for the kingdom. I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to my old ways. And we've had the temptation to do that. God's called us to do something, and we've failed, 
And we say, no, this is not for me. I'm going to go back, go back to my old life. So Peter goes back to fishing. And then Jesus makes breakfast for him. I love that. Jesus, Jesus cares practically. He doesn't say, come to this great seminar I'm going to hold, and we will talk about building back your faith and recovering from failure. Doesn't he? he makes breakfast. He makes fish on the beach for them. Um, I was just going to say, maybe Jesus was Kiwi because it's fish and chips. I don't know. but <laughs> um, And Jesus, so Jesus is there, and Peter sees him, and Jesus' prayer is answered. Peter's faith in Jesus' love for him has not failed. He jumps out of the boat. The boat was getting to Jesus. He could have waited. But again, that's what I like about Peter. He doesn't think sometimes. He jumps out of the boat and then goes back to Jesus, and he's reconciled, and he's come back with a renewed purpose. And in fact, in Jesus' prayer, he says, um, when you have turned again, because again, Jesus knows Peter is going to turn. He says, you strengthen your brothers. And I think the Lord can take our failure and turn it around as long as our faith does not fail. And so today, again, don't let your faith fail. Um, I'm paraphrasing... um, Bell Johnson. Bell Johnson said something like this, but I'm slightly paraphrasing it. Let us not sacrifice our belief in the goodness of God, in His love for us, on the altar of our disappointments or failures. Let us not sacrifice our belief in the goodness of God and in His love for us on the altar of our disappointments or failures. One more thing, one more person. So this is in Matthew chapter 11, uh, just, just one before that. How do we have faith when things don't go according to our plan? John the Baptist. Everybody knows John the Baptist as one of the greatest believers of God. In fact, one of, there's a verse that says there is no greater person than John the Baptist in the Bible. But he had questions. And Matthew 11 from 1 to 6, he's in prison. And he says, he's so shocked because he's expecting Jesus to be the Messiah. Jesus is the one who's going to save us from what we're going through. And then he gets put in prison. And um, he sends a message to Jesus and he says, are you the one? Are you the Messiah or should should we be waiting for someone else? And Jesus says, go back and tell him what all all is being done. You know, the blind are seeing, the, the deaf are hearing. So remind him of my power and my strength. And then in verse 6 in the Amplified, it, talks, it says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me and trust, trust confidently. And I think sometimes things can go so badly wrong with us when we're praying and we're believing for things. Or things can be so different from what we expect that we get offended. We say, I asked you for this. And this is not happening. Why isn't this happening? I'm upset with you, God. I, I'm going to take offense. I'm, but what Jesus is saying here is bring your questions to the Lord. Bring your offense to the Lord. When things are going wrong and you don't understand it, when things are going differently from what you expected, take those questions to the Lord. Take that offense sometimes. And it's, it's normal. John the Baptist had offense because he was like, I'm stuck in prison. But take those questions to the Lord. Um, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. 
Joseph didn't really think that when he had the dreams to become, that he would be a ruler, that he, his journey would go through prison and being a slave. God's ways are different from our ways, but through the whole journey that Joseph went through, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. It's four times mentioned that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with us in our journeys, especially when things are going differently from what we expect. So take your questions, take your disappointments, take your grief, take your offense to the Lord. And that's how faith grows. I'd like us to go to one more verse, and we'll finish with that. So if we can go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We'll read it in the Amplified, because I think it just brings a, a lot more um, oomph <laughs> to the verse. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, Stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. So that's kind of what we have to do. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. Looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. And I love how in the Amplified it talks about he is the first incentive for our belief. Jesus is the first incentive. He's the one who births our faith. He's the one who brings the germination. He, he's starting the growth. But he's also the one who brings our faith to maturity. God will grow our faith if we look to him. We need to not compare. It's the race marked out for us. Don't compare with someone else. Your race is your race. It's different from your neighbor's race. It's different from your, your family's race. Your race is marked out for you. Do not compare. Let us run. It doesn't say let us walk. It says let us run with perseverance. We need to keep moving forward. We need to not give up. Every time you fall down, get back up and run. Throw off everything that hinders you. If there's unbelief, if that seed coat has to be broken, throw it away. Get rid of the sin that entangles you and run forward, fixing your eyes on Jesus. The answer to growing our faith is very simple. It's Jesus. It's taking our grief to him, taking our disappointments to him, taking our questions to him, taking our unbelief to him, and fixing our eyes on him. He's the one who's our first incentive for faith, but he's also the one who brings our faith to maturity. And our journey will be that ever-growing trajectory. So again, like, like I said with Amy Carmichael, let us die climbing. Let us always, always going upwards, always going upwards. Amen? Amen. 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 So good. Great. <laughs>